Hi, this is Chaz. When I want to listen to a show with practical information from an everyday guy who can't carry a cop just like me, I listen to my good friend Bob Main. Now on with the show. Hi folks, I'm Bob Main, and welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. And this is episode 492, and I got a special guest again. I brought Spencer Keepers back because I got such great reviews from the first interview that I did with him about six weeks ago. So today's date's December 1st. 2019, which is the official release date of this podcast. Spencer is going to be joining me shortly to talk about pure shooting. Now, the last interview, I announced to uh, all the Shooters Club members that there would be a pure shooting exclusive interview for the Shooters Club. And this one's different. This one's a little bit different than I'm putting out on the public podcast right now. So for all you Shooters Club members, thank you very much for supporting my show and uh, and the work that Ben does over at Modern Self-Protection. Spencer kind of talks a little bit differently about pure shooting in this episode, and he also spends some time early in the interview about gun modifications. So it's kind of a follow-up to my last episode about modifying your gun. And he talks about what he does to his guns and what guns that they are. As some of you might know, Spencer's a big proponent of uh, DASA guns, which uh, we call those um, double-action, single-action DASA guns. And he explains why, and he explains the modifications that he makes to his. So I I really think you're going to enjoy this interview coming up a lot. I really did doing the interview. Remember, this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of uh, terrific holsters as well. Uh, If you want an appendix carry holster specifically made for that, then get get one from Spencer Keepers, my my guest on this show at keepersconcealment.com. If you want a good outside the waistband, strong side, Inside the waistband, strong side, hybrid, or Kydex holsters. Concealment Solutions makes fantastic products. I use several of them. Uh, I really like the Cobra outside the waistband. A lot of people like the Black Mamba inside the waistband holsters. Just about any kind of gun out there. Jason makes a great product. He stands behind it. His customer service is outstanding. And he's just an all-around good guy. You get a 10% discount if you use the one-word coupon code HANDGUNWORLD at checkout. Well, welcome back, everybody, and I want to welcome Spencer Keepers back on the Handgun World podcast. How are you doing tonight, Spencer? Good, good. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. It was about six weeks ago, by the time this episode releases, that we talked about appendix carry. And, you know, by the title I, I put out there, I thought it was probably the, one of the best interviews you'd ever done and the best information that you had shared on appendix carry. And I appreciate that. I got a lot of good feedback. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's always... Glad to hear that. 
when you do what I do, when you podcast and things, and you've probably even as a trainer uh, have experienced this, you always want to know how you're resonating with people, good or bad. And so yeah. I like to get, and, and I tell you what, I got zero bad feedback on that. And I got all good. I was actually kind of surprised that I got no bad feedback because there's some people that are like, ooh, appendix carry, bad stuff, you know. Right. But I right. didn't get any of those guys, uh, oh, or men or women. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So this episode, um, uh, I asked you to, I want you to start talking about gun modifications. And the reason for that is uh, my last episode that I just put out a couple weeks ago was on what I thought of gun modifications and what I've done. And uh, I'll, I'll start by saying this, you know, back when I started doing this 10 years ago, started doing this podcast, I was one of those don't modify your gun guys. I was one of those. And I, w I was fresh off Masada Yub classes. Uh, I had taken two of them. And nothing against Mass. I love him. I wouldn't have gone to two of his classes if I didn't like uh, Mr. Ayub. He's awesome. But I was yes. kind of, I was fresh off of those classes. And so I kind of thought, yeah, I know what, what Mass is saying is making sense, you know. And when it comes to a carry gun, my Glock 19, 10 years ago, I was like, just leave the darn thing alone, change the sights, and, and that's it. I've kind of done a 180. I've kind of done a 180 on that, which I'll explain a little bit. But how do you feel about, Spencer, about modifications in general? Uh, so I have never been able to buy a off-the-shelf handgun that was 100% the way I wanted it. So I've modified them to some degree, one way or another, um, you know, since... Since I have literally been handgunning, the first handgun I bought with my own money uh, was a Ruger Red Hawk 44 Magnum, seven and a half inch barrel. And the first two things I did to that gun was I put different sights on it and I ordered a set of hair grips uh, and they still reside on the gun um, and had an action tune done to it. So, seven inch barrel 44 magnum well you bought a real beast didn't you right man i'm telling you what yeah. uh yeah. for your for your first handgun purchase that's a heck of a handgun purchase yeah i think i was i think i was 11 or 12 years old when that happened so so the same sights and the same grips yes are on that gun on yeah it's it's just it's it is literally just exactly when i got done with it it has not changed since then. Okay. So. so are you in the school, when it comes to a carry gun, are you in the school of don't modify much at all, or are you in the school of do whatever mods you want, or are you halfway in between somewhere? I'm probably halfway in between. Okay. Okay. So, you know, one of the, like, like on a Glock, the, uh, I have like standard things that I do to a Glock. There's about four things I do to a Glock. The first thing I do is change the sights, right? Um, the second thing I do is tune the trigger. And I will typically, or a lot of times, and especially with the new Gen 5 Glocks, um, I can do that with all factory parts and get just, just exactly what I need. Um, then I will um, 
undercut the trigger guard mm-hmm. uh, because I, I, I've at this point in time I've shot so much I've got such a big Glock slash Beretta knuckle mm-hmm. that if I don't undercut the trigger guard within a hundred rounds that thing will just be a bloody nasty mess. Big old blister. Yeah, and then the like the fourth thing I do to it is I put a uh, plug uh, in the grip frame to yeah. keep the uh, yeah 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 to keep that so <clears throat> to make that a little more of a magazine well if you will going into the gun yeah so <clears throat> so that's you know that's kind of what I what I do to a Glock well, Smith and Wesson kind of very M and P very similar I'll put an Apex kit in it. Especially like the shields. I've set a bunch of shields up for, for folks over the years. I'll put an Apex trigger kit in it. I'll undercut the trigger guard just a little bit. Not much on that one, but I'll just kind of roll those sharp edges mm-hmm. uh, that are on the corners. Uh, I'll put uh, worn sights typically on those. And then you, on that, you're pretty well done. You're, you know, you're pretty good to go. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, so that's, you know, on like, like a striker fire gun, that's kind of, kind of what I'll do. Um, you know, my wife's been shooting a 320 a little bit and, um, um, on it, we really haven't done anything. She likes it just the way it came. She likes the fiber optic sights. The trigger is acceptable to her. She shoots it like a house of fire. So that's, that's the important thing. Yeah, and so we're there, and um, uh, now she's got a new, uh, she's got a new forty-eight that she's trying out, and I think that's what she's going to end up and move to as a carry gun because it's so much thinner, and uh, you know it just hides on her a lot easier. I got a forty-eight, and I love it. I got a, a Glock forty-eight. I, I think I think Glock hit a home run with that thing. Uh, I, and I especially would, uh, I agree with you hundred percent. And I especially am excited about this, you know, all middle 15 round magazine. Yes. Cause now, now we're literally going to take a Glock 19 and chop a quarter inch off the thickness of it and, and not lose quarter, anything. A quarter inch when it comes to concealment. A quarter inch might as well be a mile. It's huge. Yes, it is. It's huge. So. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's. And and I took her gun and did uh, everything but the plug. uh, Because, you know, she's not going to be, you know, doing, trying to do, you know, one second reloads with the thing. Yeah. I'm not too worried about that. So. Her, her deal is just to draw it, be able to shoot it accurately, fairly quickly, you know, be able to transition the gun fairly easily, you know, et cetera. So. That's, and that's going to be a lot thinner than a SIG 320. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a lot thinner. So. so. Yeah. Um, one of the things about the Glock 48, the Glock 43X, and I don't mean to get real gun specific here, but one thing I like that they did, that Glock did, is the trigger, the trigger reach is a lot shorter on those compared to like a Glock 19, 17, whatever, uh, probably just by nature of the smaller, thinner grip. And um, for a lot of people, I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, do you do that with your with your Berettas? You shorten the trigger reach? Um, 
Uh, no, not so much. The, the, okay. They they fit my hands pretty well. Okay. Uh, they do make a short reach trigger. Um, you know, uh, I, none of mine have that. Have that. So. Okay. Um, but uh, you know that when we get into the Berettas, the modification list becomes longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it, and it's part of that is because you you have you have more options on what you can do with the gun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can set it up as a decock only gun, or you can set it up as a, you know, say a, a safety lever gun. Um, you can set it up, uh, with different grips, you know, et cetera. Um, and, uh, if you want to kind of run down that Beretta hole, uh, just a little bit, um, you know, the, uh, I'm a huge fan of Langdon Tactical and Ernest Langdon and Amy Langdon and, and uh, the Beretta packages that they have put out, both on the, uh, the Beretta 92 Elite, uh, the full size. Uh, they now have a Centurion and a Compact Elite out as well. I have not shot either of those two. Uh, but the uh, PX4... Uh, compact carry as Ernest set it up um, that gun got me really interested uh, after shooting his a couple of years ago uh, so I acquired a couple of those and have been and now I have a couple more and, and <laughs> they're uh, multiplying yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, those are all either uh, what we would call a mod 4 or mod 5 gun meaning that they've had a uh, They've had a trigger job done to them. Uh, they've had a uh, um, NP3 coating uh, on the on the barrel and the internal components. Uh, the barrel's been shortened. Uh, there's different sights on wow. the gun, and there's different safety levers on the gun. It it then there's a uh, instead of having the the big ambi slide release on either side, it's a stealth slide release just on the left side of the gun just on the left yeah and uh, what that what that package does is it makes that gun completely different than it was when it was just you know bone stock um you know of course the mechanism is still the same but the way the gun carries the way you can interface with the gun is is just so much better um, then I, uh, you know, put the bobbed hammer on it. Um, and Ernie uh, does that or, or, or you set it up that way? Uh, it would depend. Uh, it comes that way if you buy the, I think the mod five. Okay. Um, but I have, uh, I have take, I have got a couple of PX fours that I've just bought all the parts for. And then converted them and basically made a compact carry out of them. They don't have the you know the gray slide and the NP3 coating and all that, but all the other parts uh, are the same. I'm glad you brought up the PX4 because it's almost like a like a forgotten gun. You know it, when it, it it I so it is the most underrated carry gun on the market, yeah. uh, especially the compact. Um, it shoots flatter. I've seen some some high speed videos of guys shooting a Roland Special, 
you know, mm-hmm. Glock 17 with a comp and all that on it, you know, light, uh, shooting the same ammo and the PX4 compact carry one right after the other. And the compact carry recoils or the muzzle rises about half what, what the, really, uh, yeah, what the, uh, uh, you know, clock, uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, Roland special does, uh, okay. because of their rotating barrel. Yeah. Right. So it's got a super fast, super fast cycle time. Um, and interestingly enough, if you told me I can only have one defensive handgun, um, that's what it would be. So you're satisfied with the reliability of it also. I, I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Mine have been very reliable. Uh, they do take a little bit, you know, uh, I'll tell you right now, they're not a Glock, you know, um, uh, you know, you need to put oil on them, maybe even a little bit of grease. Uh, but once you do that, they're a very mechanically reliable gun. Um, you know, Ernest shot 50,000 rounds through one and had like, I mean, I think it was less than 20, maybe even less than 15 stoppages with the gun over a year. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. And so and, it's a slightly less than four inch barrel, right? Yes, correct. So that's the one you take. If you only had to grab one, you you take if, a PX four compact. Yeah, if you told me I could only have one self defense gun, that's the gun it would be. Okay. So now I am a huge Breda ninety two Breda ninety two in general fan. Yeah, we know. But, yeah. But especially the elite because it has like the total package, right? It's, you know, it's like that, that thousand horsepower Ford Mustang, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's got everything, right? <laughs> you want to go fast. That's the car to go fast in, you know? And, um, and you shoot and, yours fast. Uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're good at it. You're I, good. And you can, you can run that gun something fierce. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I can shoot any gun I want to, right? I'm not, sponsored by anybody you know etc uh but and and i'll tell you right now if three years ago you said you know you're going to become one of the biggest bread and 92 fans on the face of the planet i'd be like ah, ah, <laughs> you need to put the stuff you're drinking down <laughs> especially a px4 fan uh, right too right, that yeah, too for that yeah, yeah top of that and uh so anyhow uh so when uh, Ernest brought the Elite out, he really did, you know, Ernest is obviously a world champion shooter, and he's a great guy. Uh, he really did everything correctly to allow you to shoot the gun at its maximum capability. Um, so some of the things, uh, the grips uh, that he uh, has designed um, are just so aggressive as far as the checkering and the mm-hmm. checkering goes really high on the grip so you can really get a just a great purchase on the gun mm-hmm. um, the uh, frame has checkering both front and rear so that helps as well um, <clears throat> then uh, 
you know, he uh, he kind of came up with this trigger job in a bag deal, right? And it'll go on basically any Beretta 92. Uh, and I've put a bunch of them on, and they're they're they just they change the gun so dramatically, uh, it's just not even funny, you know. Because a lot okay. of times going from a a sixteen or maybe even a twenty pound um, hammer spring to a twelve pound or a thirteen pound hammer spring. Wow! And you know the the DA pull goes from this you know atrociously hard. Uh, pull to this just nice rolling smooth pull uh, and then the single action is great uh, the new optimized trigger bar that he has out is phenomenal um, uh, I've been shooting it uh, for most of this year I've been shooting just one I've got a few uh, elites now but I've been really just shooting one of them with the optimized trigger bar in it and it wasn't until here just about a month ago, I took a class from um, Ed Monk of Last Resort Farms training, doing a, a active shooter killer class. And so I have a training gun and a carry gun. And they're both exactly the same. They're both set up exactly the same. And then I have backups to each of those. Okay. So, a carry backup and a, and a training backup. Correct. Correct. What's so, the difference between your training and your carry gun? The serial number. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're set up identically. Same site, same uh, up until the point of this trigger bar. And um, so I've been, you know, been really getting to shoot quite a bit, uh, at least for me, uh, this, this summer. Um, uh, and... I was starting to pull off some stuff that, I mean, uh, I mean, when it starts impressing me, uh, I get, you know, that's pretty impressive because it takes, it takes a lot to impress me on, on your shooting skills. Um, and, uh, I was pulling some stuff that just, I was just like, heck no, you know, I mean, that's, that's impressive. I did my, my three, two, one drill, which is basically six shots at, five yards, three on an eight-inch circle, two on a three-by-five card, one on a two-inch dot. Um, I shot that in, like, 240 uh, wow. as, a per- as a personal best. Um, I did a 113-yard walk-back drill with the gun on a basically eight-by-ten-inch piece of steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to realizing in in the, the active shooter class that – I was actually shooting my carry gun and I was like, okay, there really is a difference in this trigger bar where the trigger breaks, et cetera. Uh, so I came home that day and ordered, you know, like three more trigger bars to put in all the other guns. Uh, the reset is is so short on this optimized trigger bar that it's, it literally would be impossible to short stroke one. Now, the way I run a trigger, I'm not worried about the trigger, you know, reset length at all because I don't pin the trigger to the rear, nor should any of you. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I want that short reset just in case, you know, um, 
you know, I'm ever either online shooting a drill and I'm trying to go too fast and I don't reset it, uh, which I'm, you know, I'll say I have done a couple times. I have too. Just a couple times, but a few times. And, um, um, so that, that trigger bar is, is, is I think pretty huge. And, uh, the coating they have on it is nice. The, the thing that also really sets the elite apart uh, is he had the edge of the trigger guard, uh, the bottom it, the bottom part of the trigger guard, the edge of it. Uh, they cut a radius on that instead of just cutting it flat. Yeah, and so it's not a sharp edge right there. So you don't get that Beretta knuckle. You know, it's just it's just so much more comfortable to to shoot. Um, See, it's not just Glocks that give you that knuckle. No, it's not. No, I have a I have a Beretta knuckle going, and uh, uh, but uh, uh, but that's you know that's some of the things. It's got a stainless steel barrel in it, which you know uh, helps accuracy maybe a little more than the, the the standard blue barrel. There's some you know probably some debate on that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's oversized mag catch on it. Uh, it's got forward talking serrations. Um, and then, you know, it's dovetailed front and rear. So you can put the sights that you want on it, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's kind of what I've done. Um, but it, it is because the weight of the slide is, is reduced because they've They've taken so much material off of it because it's not encompassing the barrel like a, you know, a SIG or a Glock or a HK or, you know, whatever. Uh, and because the barrel stays straight, it doesn't angle down. Mm-hmm. All the other Browning tilt designs, the muzzle of the 92 stays f- flatter. Yeah. Way easier than a Glock or, or, you know, such, you know, other Browning tilt designs. Um, and the more, the more I shoot it, the more I realize I really like that. And you kind of touched on that a little bit earlier in the conversation when you were talking about the PX4. Correct. Be- because of its rotating barrel staying flatter than a right. tilting barrel. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and it stays actually flatter than the, the 92 uh, but they're they're both they they both shoot really really flat. Yeah, I've and shot a I've shot a PX4 also too. That the grip feels great on those guns. Yeah, to me it does. Feels yes. real good. Yeah, yeah, and especially uh, you know some of those guns are sending now down to um, uh, Boresight Solutions. Yeah, and he's stippling the frame up. Uh, I just have the uh, the Talon grips on mine, and that that I can grip that just fine. Uh, yeah. So. Have you ever shot or ever spent much time shooting one of the new Beretta striker fired guns? I have not. Okay. I have not. I, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting for me on the striker fired guns. Um, I'm, I, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm not a Glock fan anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't enjoy shooting in them, shooting them. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't enjoy shooting them um, at really at all. 
uh, I will and I can, and obviously I have, um, but uh, I prefer my Berettas just, just so much more. So when it's come to the striker-fired guns, um, you know, there's there's so many of them out there now. Oh, it's ridiculous. And, it, and there's <laughs> just really not enough difference in them for me to get excited about it. You know, that's funny you say that because I've noticed the same thing. There's not that much difference. I joke around with people. Some people get mad at me when I say this, but I say, you know, there's a Glock. And then there's an American-made Glock, which is a Smith & Wesson. Yes. And then there's a German-made Glock, which are the new H&K Striker-fired. And then there's the uh, the Swiss-German Glock, which is the SIG 320. And then there's a Croatian Glock, which is the XD. And I keep on going, and people say, Bob, would you shut up? But really, if you think about it, I mean, it is true. When you take these, when you take these Striker-fired guns apart and you hold them... All side by side. I mean, if you put seven of them, take the slide off, take the top end off. They, the design is all very similar to a Glock. Yes. There's so much. There's so much similarity there. So if if you don't like a you know a striker fired gun, you're probably really uh, not going to like most of them. I I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know it's it's. Uh, as talk about a striker firing gun to go back to the Berettas, um, I never ever would have thought I would tell you that I prefer now the DASA guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I, I will tell you that it takes a little more, um, and I don't mean much, but it does take a little more training probably to get truly proficient as you can with a DASA gun uh, as a, than a striker fired gun, meaning you're going to spend a little more learning curve on the DASA gun, right? But really, once you do that, it's just not that big of a deal. Now, the PX4 uh, is also a DASA, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I have, I have literally had students struggling shooting a striker fired X whatever, you know, XYZ gun, um, and gave them one of my Berettas, and I'm like, here, shoot this. And they start shooting it, and they're, you know, they turn around and look at me, and they're like, oh, oh, my God. Where's this gun been all my life? Yeah, (laughs) and I'm like, see, I told you, you know, they go from missing a two-inch dot at three yards to just drilling a little bitty hole right in the center of the two inch dot at three yards. Yeah. And, you know, and their eyes just pop out of their head and they're like, they, you know, I've had some of them kind of look at me and go, I thought the DASA thing was hard. And I was like, see, it's just really not. Well, but I'll say this though. The bad ones are hard. Oh, absolutely. I would agree 100%. And you that. probably gave them, did you give them a, a, an Elite, yeah, an LTT Elite? Elite or, or uh, you know, one of the compact carries. So okay. Gave, so you gave, them a, you gave them a really well done DASA gun. Yes, yes. I gave them the easiest, what I believe is probably the easiest DASA guns to shoot that are out there. Because uh, I've shot plenty of DASA guns and most of them were, were the bad version. And it's difficult, especially for a new shooter. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. If you get a if you get a like bone stock 
you know, 92 FS, uh, and give it to a new shooter, you're going to have, you're probably going to have some issues because that 16 or 18 pound or 14 or 12 pound double action trigger pull, uh, is, and especially, and a lot of times it's not even so much that it's the transition to that next shot. Yeah. I tried to teach somebody one time that, uh, that showed up with a brand new SIG 226 bone stock. Right. And, and that, I don't think on the, on the stock ones that, that, tri- that double action trigger is not so great. No, it's not. And, and, and he struggled with it. He struggled with it. Yeah. 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 The, uh, uh, I've got a couple of the SIG legions yeah. where they've, where they've done some trigger work to it before it left the, you know, the factory. And those are, you know, uh, I can shoot those just fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, there again, um, we talked about modifications. Yeah. You know, I'm running some of the, uh, by far easier to shoot DASA guns and trigger setups that are out there. And to be fair, there's some pretty bad striker fired setups as well out there that are not oh. so easy to shoot. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so, when it really comes down to it, we've talked, it's, it's so, it it's, it's so ironic, but it's so true. It's sights and triggers. It's sights and triggers. Yes. Yes. It comes down to sights and triggers and your ability to manage both. Correct. Your ability to manage the sights and the triggers. Right. You know, while you're shooting them. Because, I mean, you know, put real good sights and a good trigger in the hands of somebody that is a, a poor shooter, and they're probably still a poor shooter. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, the better trigger will probably maybe, I think, improve their performance slightly, maybe. But, right. you know, um, since I started doing the podcast from day one, I've always talked about a thousand round trigger job. And uh, I think you should give your gun a, a thousand round trigger. And I've changed that to a two thousand round trigger job because ammo is so cheap. So do a two thousand round trigger job. And I think you're probably going to be a better shooter on the two thousand and first round than you would dropping a hundred and whatever dollars for somebody to lighten the trigger pull by two pounds. And, and ironically enough, one of the things that I see when I'm teaching is the folks that have these super tricked out, you know, like my Glock has a 1911 trigger in it now. Yeah. Really that trigger actually causes them to build anticipation mm-hmm. uh, and they they actually are hurting themselves as a develop, developing shooter by doing that. I've seen them shoot the I've seen them break the shot too soon. Yeah. Often. And they're and they're four inches off target because they shot too quickly. Right. Right. You know, and, um yeah. And I I've I've seen them yank the you know, you know, it's, it's literally a two and a half pound trigger now or something like that. And, uh, you know, seeing them yank it completely off the target. And that, that is, that is anticipation. Uh, that's moving the gun. Um, and ironically, when you give them a gun that is closer to stock, 
where yeah. you can actually feel the wall and you can feel the trigger roll off the wall, mm-hmm. a lot of times their shooting will just skyrocket and they will actually shoot a trigger that is worse, if you will, than what they were actually shooting before with this, you know, highly tricked out trigger. Yeah. Now, Spencer, let me ask you this. So how do you feel about carry guns? To what extent should somebody modify a carry gun? Um, So when it comes to a carry gun, I'd like to try and keep as many factory parts on the gun as we can. You know, uh, one of the cool thing about the Berettas is all these parts are actually factory parts. Good. Right. So, you know, it's, um, while I have a lighter, uh, lighter hammer spring and all that, they're all factory parts. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, like with a Glock, a lot of people make a big deal about putting a three and a half pound connector, you know, in, in, in the trigger. And, um, uh, I get it, you know, and you talked about mass earlier. Uh, I went to a class, to, uh, in fact, it was the first time I ever got to meet or even see mass, which was, this was about 2008 or nine, maybe 10 at, the the range master tactical conference when it was held in Tulsa. And a lot of what mass talked about was, don't put a three and a half pound um, uh, connector. Connector, thank you, in your Glock, right? And you know, Gabe White and I talked about this a little bit. Can you shoot a New York triggered, you know, Glock uh, as well as you can a Glock with a three and a half pound connector? And the the answer to that is. Kinda. Hmm, not it me. All, it all it, it well. It depends on what the what the standard is that you're judging them against. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. So, but when it comes down to shooting it at the limit of human function, you absolutely positively cannot shoot the heavier trigger as good as you can the lighter trigger. It's just yes physics. It's just not. Um, it's just not going to work. Can you shoot it well enough to defend yourself in the vast majority of cases of the shots that you would need to make? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Um, but I am not. Uh, I am not a big. You know, thou shall not do that for a carry gun. Yeah. Because uh, the other thing that I kind of think about on that deal is I want to be, you know, the, the, the day of my first shooting, I want to be a grandmaster, right? I want to, I want to be shooting at a grandmaster level. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. The first time, first time you ever have to use your gun to defend your life, you want to be a grandmaster. Right. That's right. So, so, um, I don't, I don't want to have any additional complications with the gun in making it harder to shoot. 
right? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and this may get off a little bit, but, you know, it almost comes down to an ethics thing. I'm trying to make the person stop the action that they're doing that caused me to shoot them in the first place, mm-hmm. right? That's all I'm trying to do. So the the less rounds I can do that with, the more ethically I can do that, the better in my eyes. Yeah, and I think that would be a good case to make in your favor, that I I was able to stop this and fire less rounds. Right. And, you know, in today's culture, in today's culture out there with all the people right now these days against guns, which, you know, that's a, we could do a three-hour podcast on that, I'm sure. Um, but it seems to me I would rather be sitting there and saying to a judge and a jury, you know, I was able to end this in two rounds instead of six, you know, and so therefore it's better for everybody. Right, right. You know, um, and the reason I was able to end it in two rounds instead of six is because I've set my gun up to where it's easier for me to shoot. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I can shoot the gun more accurate the way I've set it up. Yeah. And I I can shoot it and I can make it better for for all of us because I'm not firing six times and might have missed three out of those six or four out of those six. And who knows who knows where those rounds that I missed, who knows where they end up. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. that the ones I hit with end up in the bad guy, but the right. the ones that I miss, and anybody that says that they don't miss is a flat out liar. <laughs> you know, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's just. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Nobody can say that. So especially, yeah. especially on the day when somebody is is trying to kill them. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. So modifications. I think you and I kind of stand pretty much in the same position on that um you know i'll talk about my my g19 for just a little bit uh i've done a lot of modifications to this this is a third generation the only thing i've not changed is the trigger i have not done anything to the trigger whatsoever this is a completely 100 percent stock third generation glock trigger um but i've done so many other things now i've shot about over 20,000 rounds through this gun so the trigger has actually improved since the first time i shot it because right. I've shot it 20,000 times. And I yeah. like to think that I've improved a little bit shooting this gun 20,000 times as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, but what I've done is I'm a big fan like you of undercutting the trigger uh, guard. Right. You know, um, undercutting the trigger guard just makes it so much more comfortable. Um, I did get rid of the finger grooves, although I never really minded the finger grooves on, on Glocks. They fit me. Um, the thing that, the thing I did that very few people talk about, they talk about texturing, which I put texturing on the front strap and on the back strap, but I, I, and one reason I still like the third gens, I did not texture the flat part of the grip here that touches my body Mm. because if I'm not wearing a t-shirt and I got that rough texture, it just digs up my skin, something bad. Right. And right. I just found that I don't need to have texture in that spot. I just, I, I need to have it on the front and the back of that grip. Yes. You know, and I've put yeah. a Vickers, I've put a Larry Vickers um, slide release on here, which I like a lot. And I've right. also, I've also put his mag release button on it. Yeah. And, uh, and then Trigicon HD sights. And that's pretty much it. It's, it's done. 
you know i mean it's yeah, I, I i think that's those are all uh, uh, the, those are all real solid mods and like you right? said earlier with my mp uh, i have two mps the apex trigger kit is really nice and i yes. put the i put the duty weight in there which i think only brings the trigger pull weight down to five pounds or something like that. Right. But, wow, you want to talk about shortening the take-up and the reset and its flat face, which I like. That's just a beautiful trigger. Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful trigger. Yes. Um, it just, like you like you and your Berettas, that trigger changes those M&Ps completely. Complete, it makes it a different gun. I, I have had uh, some students that... Um, were, were they were both shooting M and P's, and one guy was just crushing it. And uh, the only difference between the two guns was one had put the the flat face trigger in it, and the other guy had not. And uh, so during a break, the guy that had the uh, curved trigger shot the gun that had the flat face trigger on it, and immediately his shooting went up about twenty percent. Yeah, just from that, just from that flat face trigger, you know, and uh, so um, it really can make a difference for some people. Now I noticed though in Look your Berettas, uh, there there really there there are no flat triggers for the Berettas, right? No, no, they're all okay. they're all curved, and you you really actually because of the uh, because of the the DA pull. You, you really do need them to kind of be curved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess you're right. Yeah, it, uh, because of the way your your finger kind of rolls along the trigger yeah. as it travels to the rear. Um, but I, so. hold it, hold that up again. Um, but that curve. Let me see the trigger on yours. The curve is not nearly as pronounced as the curve on a Glock trigger, though. It doesn't <laughs> well, seem like it. It actually, I think it's because what you're looking at is that safety. That's popped out. Yeah. I think if you push the safety in, oh, yeah, okay. you'll yeah. notice that the curves are much more similar. Oh, okay, there. then they're similar. Yeah, probably right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah it is see, about the same. A little more, a little more similar. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think I think we hit on modifications pretty well. I'll, I'll talk about a couple of websites for people. Um, LangdonTactical.com isn't that the website? Yes. LangdonTactical.com. They can yep. find they can find the the Beretta 92s and the PX4s that you're talking about. Yes. And um, and then like we talked about in the last episode you did with me, uh, KeepersConcealment.com. They can find out all about you there. Yes. So yep. I'll give uh, those two free plugs out. So so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, uh, I put up on the Shooters Club about a 30-minute conversation you and I had about pure shooting. So all the exclusive Shooters Club members that, that we have, they got they got the early release version of, wow. of pure shooting, and they got it about six to six to seven weeks ago. So so now let's let's open this up to the public. Quickly define what pure shooting is. Uh, so for me, pure shooting is the ability to run the gun fast and accurately at or near human reaction time. Right. <clears throat> so, um, we've, 
you could argue that, well, you know, everything is accuracy, but it's it's not. We have to have a speed component component into it. A reasonable uh, amount of speed, yes. A, a reasonable amount, at least, because we, um, uh, whether it's an actual competition, right, and we're shooting against someone in a, in a, in a sport, we need to be able to judge accuracy and speed. And then if we're actually trying to defend our life, right, we need a reasonable amount, if not a huge amount of speed. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I, I kind of, a friend of mine uh, quoted it this way one time to me. He said, I don't know how much strength I need in a fight, but I would never want less of it. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. So kind of the same way with speed. I don't how I don't know how much speed I'm going to need in a fight, but I don't want I don't want any less of it. I want as much speed as I can physically get in it. Same goes for accuracy. You don't know yes. how much accuracy you're going to need, but you don't want less of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Ammo too. Don't know how much ammo I'm going to need, but I don't want less of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we've heard the old saying, people have kind of overused this. They're, they've said, you can't miss fast enough. You can't miss fast enough. And I, I like to challenge that theory a little bit, because I think that there are times you probably could miss fast enough. And an example is I was shooting a steel competition match. So let's talk about competition for a minute. A couple of weeks ago, I was shooting a steel competition match. Right. And the penalty for missing a shot on steel is two seconds. Okay. I can shoot at least three, sometimes four shots in two seconds. Right. So if I shoot the steel and miss, I can shoot again and hit in far less than two seconds. Correct. So there's an example. I can miss fast enough. Right. Because I can recognize, because I can hear when I hit the steel or when I don't hit the steel. Right. So right. I can I can go, pow, miss, pow, and I hit. Yeah. Well, now, I, you know, that's it. And, and I have a reasonable amount, reasonable amount of accuracy because I'm 50-50 at that point. Right. Right. So, um, and in a real fight also, I think, in a real fight, if you shoot... And, and he has not stopped doing what he's doing. I think the average person can recognize that and shoot again probably in, you know, less than a couple of seconds, don't you think? Oh, easily. And uh, another thing to look at uh, in, in a fight, um, uh, my buddy John Correa, active, self, uh, active self-protection, um, has done a, you know, a bunch of study of, uh, videoed gunfights and like the first person to get uh, a, a bullet into the into the the bad guy yeah right or the or if two people are, are fighting right the first one that gets around into the other one mm-hmm. has a 90 plus percent chance of winning that fight exactly yeah I think even, I even if that round wasn't you know that perfect you know high thoracic center chest you know kind of hit 
Um, so uh, I would, um, while it's not perfect, I would take a, a one-second hit to the belly before I would take a three-second hit to the center upper chest. Exactly, yeah. Hands, hands down every day. Because it could be all over in three seconds. Correct. And all over in not a good way for you. Yes, exactly. You know, so, yes. Yeah, that's why the draw is so important also, and being able to, to draw and make that first hit quickly. Yes, yes. All right, so pure, pure shooting. So I like what you say, being able to fire at or close to human reaction time. What is human reaction time? So roughly a quarter second. Okay. So basically your, your splits are a quarter of a second. Yeah. So, and your, your trans, like your transitions, um, depending on what you're transitioning to is they're roughly basically a quarter second or they're a quarter second to recognize the, the transition and then a quarter second to break the shot or less, mm-hmm. you know, um, the uh, so what I, what I see like in uh, a drill that I do is uh, it's called a three two one drill. You shoot. Uh, I talked about it a little bit earlier. You shoot at five yards. You draw. You shoot three rounds to an eight inch circle. Two rounds to a three by five card, and then one round to a two inch dot. Mm-hmm. And what I'll typically see people do is draw the gun pretty fast, make the three hits on the body pretty fast. They'll slow down a little bit and hit the the three by five card, right? Mm-hmm. Then they'll slide over to the B dot, and there's this long, like three four second pause mm-hmm. while they get everything just perfect, uh, and then they start applying pressure to the trigger, and then they realize, oh my gosh, I'm still under time. So they push the muzzle of the gun down as they jerk, you know, yeah. jerk the trigger straight. Jerking the, the trigger, gun. yeah. And uh, um, it's not the jerking the trigger that causes the miss. Ironically, it's the moving the gun, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, and I've done this with a lot of students. Is I will tell them when to shoot the two-inch dot. So they'll draw the gun, they'll shoot, they'll, they'll, they'll hit their other hits, they'll move the gun, and as soon as the gun steadies, I'll tell them to shoot, they'll break the shot and make the hit. And they're like, wow, I shot that way sooner than I thought I should. And my question to them is, why would you wait? Mm. Well, because well, I need to slow down and make my hits. No. Slowing down doesn't cause you to make your hits. Interesting. Okay. Having the sights not wobble outside of the target zone and controlling the trigger straight to the rear in such a manner that it doesn't disturb the sights is what causes you to make your hits. And some people can do what you just said pretty fast. And a lot of people can do that way faster than they believe they can mm-hmm. because every time they have missed, the instructor behind them has said, you need to slow down. So they slow down. 
what really should happen is the slowdown should be a side effect, if you will, of them seeing what they need to see on the smaller, harder percentage target, right? Mm -hmm. But all they really need to see is the site come onto the target, stabilize in the target area, and then press the trigger. Press the trigger. Yep. That's that's all it takes. Mm -hmm. Now, naturally, naturally, if the target is smaller... Naturally, one is going to slow down a bit until they see the site on target. Correct, because it it will take them longer to stabilize the sites on the target, right? Mm -hmm. But what what that really needs to look like is that needs to be about, like in that particular drill, that needs to be about a... Anywhere from a half to a three-quarter second split from the three by five card to the two-inch two-inch dot, maybe one second mm-hmm. for some of the shooters. And what I commonly see is shooters that are that are that are far better than what they believe they are, mm-hmm. but they've been told so many times, "Slow down and make your hits." Mm. That when they get to that smaller target, they put a huge, like, exaggerated pause to confirm their sights. Mm-hmm. As they're confirming their sights, they're trying to work their trigger, and their anticipation level rises as they start to realize that they're taking a lot of time, and then they just literally move the gun and press the trigger at the same time. And they'll miss that dot every single time. Yeah. And it might've been you that said this in our first conversation about pure shooting. I think it was you that said what the instructor should really be saying is don't miss. Don't Uh, miss that. Uh, Instead of trying to explain, maybe it wasn't you, but I thought somebody explained this real well, and and I thought it was really good. Sometimes an instructor will try to explain to them three or four different reasons why they missed. Right. And sometimes if you just refocus them and say, don't miss that next time. Right. You start to cause them to think about, okay, I only have to think about one thing, and that is don't miss that target. Yeah, I don't have to think about smooth press, left hand here, right hand here, side, front side here, rear side here. Just next time, don't miss. Yeah. And then if they keep missing, then maybe stop them and say, okay, here's why I think you're missing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you just touched on something right there that I think we should talk about is why are they missing? Mm-hmm. And that becomes, for a good instructor, becomes really easy to to diagnose. And, um, you know, uh, give credit where credit's due. I got this from Ernest Landon, uh, Rob Latham, Mike Seeklander, you know, et cetera. Um, But immediately, if we have a student that's, that's a missing, especially if they're missing into a pattern, you know, low left, let's say, okay? 
So what we want to do is um, as soon as they miss, we want to unload the gun, get them into dry practice mode, if you will, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm going to rack that slide fairly hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Ernest says, this puts their lizard brain back in the fact that the recoil just happened. Mm-hmm. So you will more likely see what they were doing in live fire, except now we're going to see it in dry, in dry fire, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll see the gun snatch you know you'll see the sights start to move and then the trigger presses it's like they're um they're almost putting their post ignition push pre-ignition you know i i did that one time with a student we unloaded their gun and and i had them dry fire and they were and they were doing this jerking the gun down so when they did that all i did was ask the guy i said now now what just happened and he said I, I'm moving the gun. Right. I said, then don't do that. And he yeah. says, I got it. I didn't have to tell him how not to do that. He right. got he got it. He got okay, I'm moving the gun. Okay, next time I'm just gonna not move the gun. I think most people can figure out what, what they need to do. Well, and that's the beauty of this is yeah. you can then they can see what it is that they're doing. Yeah. Because they can't see it. Most people don't have the vision speed to see it in, um, you know, in live fire. Yeah. Right. Cause it happens so fast. That gun cycles so fast that most people just can't see it. So when you take them to dry fire at that point in time, they actually get to see what it is if they're if they're pulling the gun low left if they're pulling the gun straight down if they're healing the gun up if, you know whatever it is they're doing they get to see it okay so then we do that we do that a few more times until they get correct repetitions in so what we're doing at this point in time is we're plasticizing the brain and we're burning those neural pathways with uh, coating them with myelin, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so now the brain knows the correct way to press the trigger. Yeah. So now we go back to live fire and we live fire and their shooting, let's say their shooting has improved, but within the next 20 rounds, they start reverting back to what they were doing before. Mm-hmm the best thing you can do as an instructor for that student is have them clear their gun out and go back to dry practice. I will literally go to the range and they are, there are range sessions where I will shoot until I miss trying to push my speed, accuracy, you know, whatever. And as soon as I miss, if I didn't, call the miss to begin with mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i will unload the gun and go right back into right into dry practice until everything looks perfect load the gun back up and go into live fire yeah and yep. rinse lather and repeat that until 
I'm starting to be- burn better neural pathways. Until they get it right. Yeah, you're burning better. And let me ask you this, Bencher. What, what's your take on this? Because you're, you're a really good uh, instructor. This happened to me once. I was teaching a class with um, my good friend and co-instructor, Ben Branham. And uh, he's running the line, and I'm videotaping. I got my iPhone out like this. I got my iPhone out, and I'm, I'm videotaping some of the students. Right. And one guy on the line was just missing terribly i mean you know he he just couldn't i think we were having him shoot at a little circle and he just couldn't hit it and so when we got done with that um he kind of made a comment he says hey I, I just don't know why i'm missing and i said well sir i'll tell you what i got you on video i said do you mind if we watch this together and it was when we took a break time and so i showed him him on video i showed him shooting Right back to him, and he's looking at it, and his eyes got big, and he goes, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And I said, okay. I said, so next time, just don't do that. And he got better because he was able to watch himself what he was doing. Right. And I, I didn't intend for that to happen. It happened by accident. I just happened to be videotaping, and this guy was struggling, and he was on the, on the, on the, vi- uh, the video. So I, I, uh, I do that probably – with at least one student in every class. Okay. I, I will video them because I, you know, I'll go through what we just talked about, mm-hmm. right? And if that doesn't work, or if, or maybe if it's something else, maybe if it's some part of their draw stroke, if they're not, if you know, if they're not getting what I call the Judy Chop um, uh, Clander and I call it the same thing. If you don't know what a Judy Chop <laughs> is, you sort of. There's some YouTube and you need to do for Diamond Days Ninja School, right? YouTube Judy Chop. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if they're not getting that or if the, their uh, their hand position isn't quite right on the gun or something like that, I can video that and then show them what it is they're doing. And they stand like your guy did. They stand a much better chance now of going, oh, okay. Now I know what it is I'm doing. I now see I know it. I can fix it. Right. Because we, we have uh, mirror neurons, right? And when we see, this is another reason that I think if, if you're an instructor and you are not demoing your drills, uh-huh. my belief, you are doing it wrong. I've heard right? you say and that. I, and I'm, I, I just have a real strong belief in that, right? Because... People need to see how it how it is done. Like sometimes they need to see it done just to believe that it can be can done. be done. Yeah, right. You know, let's talk about a uh, you know a, a sub two second build drill from concealment. I mean, most people walking around out there that train the way you know we do are going to go that can't be done. And I'm being like, hmm, okay, well watch this. <laughs> You know, not Let's put that, that I, to the test. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I pull off a two second, you know, sub two second build drill every time, but I've, you know, I've pulled quite a few of them off in front of students, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so it can be done." So it can't, yeah. Okay, well now I can work on it because I have seen it done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, both of those uh, video, especially uh, there's actually an app called Coach's Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played around with a little bit, and uh, uh, it's pretty cool because you can really start to get into the minutia 
of what it is that you're doing. So pure shooting has a lot with lot to do with not letting the gun move. Exactly. It, it interestingly enough, if you hold the gun and and aim it on whatever it is that you're trying to hit and manipulate the trigger without the gun moving at all, you will hit what you want to hit every single time. So let's finish with that. Let's finish this episode with that. How does a person do that? How do they hold the gun so that it doesn't move when they fire it? So that gets into grip, and I talk about grip um, differently than most instructors do. And I'll kind of run through that real quick. So the first thing is with my strong hand, I want a very high grip on the gun. Um, and if your listeners or viewers can see that, I'm as high up on the gun as I can get, right? It's really pressed deep down into the web between my palm and uh, uh, between my uh, thumb and forefinger, basically in the palm of my hand, right? Mm-hmm. I am gripping three fingers around the front strap, and I'm actually trying to take the fingertips and push them to my palm. Okay. So I'm gripping this way, like in a yeah. circle. So you're really squeezing that gun. Circular motion. Yeah. Okay? You're yes. you're squeezing the snot so out of that gun. Then when my when I hit my uh, Judy Chop index, which is up again, it's so I'm taking my uh, support side um, index finger. And I'm marrying it up against my traffic driving finger of my right hand and the trigger guard at the same time. Okay, that's what I'm trying to hit. And then I take that, and I, as I push the gun out, I roll the grip up, and I'm gripping the gun. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take the... Um, the pad of my palm Mm -hmm. and get it on the corner edge of the gun. Mm -hmm. So when I come, when this hand comes in, I'm not just taking and closing my hand onto the gun. I'm actually coming in behind the gun at an angle Mm -hmm. and, and wrapping that grip up. And then I'm doing the same thing with this hand. I'm wrapping four fingers around three and I am trying to take those fingertips and push them through the gun into the palm of my hand. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the force lines from above or below, I'm gripping the gun in an X. Okay. Right? <clears throat> so once you do that and you've got good grip pressure on the gun, it needs to be... It needs to be tacky, and this is really super hard to explain, but it just needs to be a p- to the point like at, at, at one point you may actually grip the gun too hard yeah, and your grip come apart, mm-hmm. even though we tell you to grip the gun hard, right? Because you don't have the it, strength to maintain that. Well, you don't have the strength, but you don't have the... You don't have the friction 
on your skin on the gun. I understand. Okay. Mm -hmm. So once you've done that, then it's all about doing whatever it takes to operate the trigger for the desired target. Okay. If it is a, you know, if it's a, uh, eight inch circle at three yards, I can put the front sight somewhere close to the center of that target. Just as long as I see some glimmer of sight in the target area, I can start pressing the trigger. As long as I'm pressing the trigger to the rear without disturbing the rest of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, if I need a more precise shot, I'm going to spend more time prepping the trigger. Right. So, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, uh, Rob Latham, he's just a trigger slapper. Okay. (laughs) I've watched Rob shoot and he is. He slaps the living crap out of the trigger. And he slaps the living crap out of the trigger shooting, you know, zero down IDPA at 25 yards, running like 25, you know, 2,500 splits. And the reason he does that is because he can. And he, because he's trained and practiced enough to be able to do that. Right. And, and that gets back is because he can, because he can. Right. Well, for some of us, it may take a little more trigger management. Um, and that means resetting the trigger after the first shot during recoil and prepping the trigger to the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we shoot everything else from that position on the trigger. So then we let the sights decide how we press the trigger. Mm-hmm. We can have just a, an immediate press, or we can have a press that we just give just a little more time to the trigger so that we ensure a little more that the sights don't move. I like the way you just put that. Allow the sights to determine when you press the trigger. Yeah, that's that's what it has it's to be. That's a good way to think of it. Yeah, and that's one of the, you know, uh, it just uh, just like a scourge in the shooting community is the pin the trigger to the rear and slowly let out to the reset. Yeah. Right? So what happens to guys, and I just had a class or a private lesson with, uh, was a, ended up being a small class, but um, there were three of them, and that's, that's what they had been taught to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I told them literally what was going to happen as we went through the day, because uh, it takes a long time for some people to break that habit. Yeah. Right? Because once, it, once it, they get under stress, that habit comes back. Okay. So what will happen with most of, most all the trigger pinners I've ever seen, uh, you put them under pressure like shooting the super test um, or the, the test, 10 rounds, 10 seconds, and 10 yards. And what becomes their indication to shoot the gun again isn't the sights it's the fact that the trigger reset yeah and a lot of times what you'll see is they'll actually have the trigger pinned to the rear and they'll be aligning the sights they'll be on target 
they'll get the sights aligned and then they'll run their finger forward and then come crashing back all the way through the trigger and they'll take and just pull the gun off the and gun. they'll move their sights yeah <laughs> and they'll move their sights and you know it's just it literally is the definition of irony the technique that you're using is keeping you from gaining the results you want it's interesting so so resetting and prepping the trigger to the rear during each shot and then allowing the sights to dictate how you press the trigger for the, the hit that is required. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, Spencer. I that's let's finish with that because we've given people a lot to think about. Okay. Already so far. And and I want you to come back and do a pure shooting part two episode with me. So okay. maybe like uh maybe in about three to six weeks, uh maybe like shortly before Christmas time, let's let's record another one. Um, okay. and, uh, and then we'll, and then that, that'll kind of, maybe I'll, I'll put that out, uh, like a January 1st episode. So if we, if we record okay. it shortly before Christmas, so now listeners can, can g- get ready for that. There you um, go. thanks Spencer. I appreciate it. One more time, yeah. one more time, tell people, um, tell, give out your website and tell them if you got anything new coming up with your holsters or classes or anything like that. Uh, keepersconcealment.com. You can find everything about us there, the holsters and the training company. Um, I've got, um, my first part of my 2020 schedule up already. So going to be in Ohio a couple of times. Looks like I'm going to be, uh, in Virginia. Um, and I'm trying to set some stuff up. Um, in, in other places, Mississippi, Texas, you know, et cetera. Um, I've got a couple of new classes coming out for the year. I've got a, a DASA only class. Oh, uh, good. So what we talked about, you know, with this, uh, if you want to, if you want to figure out the DASA game, we're going to do that. That and, I think that's a real important for class for people that have those guns. That's real oh, yeah. important. Yeah. Uh, and then a, um, uh, uh, basically a an advanced skills and drills and learning um, pure shooting fundamental course uh, okay. where we're going to shoot some uh, very uh, pretty intense drills um, and then figure out what went wrong, figure out how to fix that and then shoot them again. And basically shoot them a few times, and we'll move on to something else. But that will kind of be the theory of the class is we're going to shoot to failure, figure out why we failed, figure out how to fix our failure, mm-hmm. and then shoot to the next level. So I want to say to listeners, rather than buy yourself a new gun for Christmas, why don't you buy yourself a Spencer Keepers class for Christmas? Because the 2020 schedule, you got part of it already out there. Part of it's already out there. Yeah. Um, and shoot me a, a, a private message when you get your Texas class scheduled. Because uh, I want to come to that. You know, I'm in San Antonio. So I, oh, okay. Southwest Airlines will get me anywhere unless you come come down here. Then that's great. Well, so my buddy Steve Moses of Pals Day uh, Training yep. Group in North Texas, I know Steve is is hosting me, and that class is up on his schedule. Oh, it is, uh, and you can sign up for it on his schedule, or is it on your yes. website too? It's, 
Um, I know it's on his. I think it's on ours. If it's not, it will be here shortly. So. Okay, and I'll find a link in the show. I mean, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll find that on his website. Okay. And I'll yep. put that so that so that listeners can just go use the link that I put on there, as well as I'll put you know your your class schedule on the show notes as well. That'd be great. All right, Spencer. Thanks for joining me. Yep. Great time, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Take care. You get take care. Okay, please remember that I don't have a whole lot of sponsors on this show, just one, Concealment Solutions, whom I've talked about. So I depend completely on support from generous listeners like you. If you're not a member of the Shooters Club, I really think you'll get a big benefit out of that for $8 a month or only $75 a year. Over 80 videos, audio podcasts. We got audio on there from Masada Yub, from Spencer Keepers, from Ben Branham, from myself, and even from Glenn Tate. And as far as the videos, we've got footage from the training classes and also videos that Ben and I did on just how to become just an all-around better shooter and, and defend yourself better. So please consider joining that. I'd very much appreciate that. It'll make a good Christmas present for yourself or you can buy a membership for somebody else and you will you'll give them a nice benefit, something that, that will educate and they can learn from for Christmas this year. All right, so let me close the show with kind of a modern survival life skills tip for you. As many of you know, I started podcasting doing today's survival show, and so all that stuff is always in my mind at all times. You got to be prepared. You got to be a survivalist, a modern survivalist, no tinfoil hat kind of stuff. And so I want to talk a little bit about positive thinking. It's kind of an overused term, I think, but just a little tip here that I want to give you that has helped me out a lot and this might help you out a lot during the holiday season because it's you have to be careful you have to be careful during the holiday season not to be around uh, too many negative people too many of the bad seeds that I talk about right there's bad seeds out there before you go to bed and as soon as you wake up in the morning are important times I like to read or listen to the Bible before I go to bed and also uh, something positive every morning those are two critical times, and it seems to help me sleep better when I do it before I go to bed at night. So that's something I want, you know, I want you to think about. And even if you're not a man of Christian faith like I am, do something or read something positive before you go to bed. If you are a person of faith like me, get into the Word, whether you read it or whether you listen to it. It's, um, it's really a good thing. And it helps you to sleep, helps me to sleep better anyway. And also in the morning. In the, in the morning, how you start your day. These are the two critical times. By the time the middle of the day comes and you're so busy and distracted with other things, it's sometimes a little difficult to get back into a positive frame of mind if something has made you negative. So that's why the before you go to sleep and in the morning are all very critical. And so there's a little bit of a modern survival life skills tip for you that I thought I would throw in there. And that's the pretty much conclusion of this episode. Remember, you've just listened to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I'm Bob Main. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. And remember, evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. Shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.